0: Hey, how's it going out there, everybody? Welcome to the Drum Shuffle Podcast. Jamie Eads joining you as I do each and every week. This is episode 148. I hope all of you guys are having a fantastic week out there in the world. We're having a great week over here at the Drum Shuffle World Headquarters. I'm going to be joined by uh, Anthony Tadeo in just a moment with a just a, a fantastic interview and probably one of the most unique projects that I have ever interviewed for here on this podcast. So he'll be joining us right after this message from our sponsor, Los Cabos Drumsticks. The best kept secret for drummers is finally out. Los Cabos Drumsticks may look like the sticks you grew up with, but these are not your father's drumsticks. Los Cabos Drumsticks is Canada's number one drumstick brand, and they are coming to a retailer near you. With operations in over 28 countries worldwide, thousands of drummers have already discovered the Los Cabos difference. Using FSC certified wood from Canada and the US, Los Cabos make the finest quality drumsticks, percussion tools, and accessories on the market. The best news, Los Cabos Drumsticks offers you a ton of choice. They have 22 individual drumstick models and 14 percussion tools, many of which are available in three different wood types, maple, white hickory, and red hickory. Red hickory comes from the center, or heart, of the hickory tree and has been independently proven to be both stronger and more elastic than white hickory without adding a lot of weight. While most drumstick manufacturers have shunned red hickory, Los Cabos Drumsticks has embraced it, becoming the only established stick brand in the world to offer a full line of red hickory drumsticks. To learn more about Lost Cabo's drumsticks, visit them online at lostcabostrumsticks.com. Follow them on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, and don't forget to ask for Lost Cabo's drumsticks at your favorite retailer. Dare to be different. Join the Red Hickory Revolution with Lost Cabo's drumsticks. All right, everybody. As I mentioned before our break, there we're going to be joined by Anthony Tadeo in just a moment. Um, I'll be completely honest, I was not familiar with Anthony's playing uh, before this opportunity presented itself to me. Um, and the the project that he came on to talk about is Alla Borara. Uh, I hope I'm saying that correct. Italian is not my native tongue, but uh, it's such a unique project and Anthony can probably do a better job explaining it than I can, but he has gone back and, and selected... A bunch of really really old italian folk music that he has then composed around and it truly is a fantastic record uh and i hope that you guys in my crowd will give this a chance because i i didn't know what to expect going into it but i thoroughly enjoyed listening to the record a few times uh, and will continue to do so going forward but that project uh, will be out on October 21st and I got to tell you I just had such a good time talking with Anthony uh, about drumming in general and this project uh, in particular I know you're going to get a lot out of it so help me welcome to the drum shuffle Anthony Tadeo. hey good afternoon Anthony how's it going man
1: it is going great thank you so much Jamie
0: Oh, man, thanks for taking time to to come on the Drum Shuffle podcast. I appreciate it. As we were just discussing in our, uh, uh, you know, when I first called, you're, you're going to have to help me get through this uh, and educate me a bit on on what it is that you do. Uh, you know, I, I understand that you're a drummer and a percussionist, but uh, we're going to talk about your new release, and you're going to have to to help me out a little bit if you don't mind, if that's okay with you.
1: Yeah. And by the end of this interview, we'll be having like a cappuccino and some pasta or something. It's
0: going to be great. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> that'll, that'll be fantastic. Oh, awesome. Well, so again, thanks for taking time to come on. I do appreciate it. Um, you know, traditionally what I try to do with the podcast is, um, you know, go, go back to your early years. I know you're, you're currently calling Cleveland home. Is that right?
1: That's correct. Yeah, we moved back here in 2014 after uh, we had spent five years in New York City.
0: Okay, gotcha. Now, is Cleveland, is the Cleveland area, is that home for you?
1: It is. Yeah, that was part of the reason why we wanted to move back was because we wanted to start a family, which update, I now have two incredible kids. And um, yeah, we moved back here and. In- for that purpose, because we both have uh, our parents are like twenty minutes from each other. So,
0: gotcha. Okay. Well, that makes sense. And you know, I I just uh, I got to visit the the big city, the Big Apple, in July. My daughter was up there doing some mm. co- college visits. So, uh, you know, it, Cleveland's still a pretty big city, but uh, it's not New York big. So. <laughs> it's not.
1: It is not. It is not. I know it's going to shock many of your listeners, but it is not.
0: (laughs) No, it's all good, man. Um, Okay, so when did did music, do you come from a musical family? When did that start uh, in your life? Did you start playing at an early age?
1: Unfortunately, I was actually really late to the game as far as playing music, but um, kind of my passion for music and rhythm started really young. When I was five, I started tap dancing, actually. And through, I don't know, like over the next 10 years, I kept adding things that I was doing, whether it be theater or singing or piano, and then finally drums. And at the center of all my passions was music and rhythm. Um, And so then when it came time to kind of decide what I wanted to do with my career, I landed on drums, because one, I that was the thing I felt like I was most advanced with at that moment in time, but also I loved the longevity that came with being a musician. I saw, I remember like very vividly seeing this clip of Roy Haynes playing a drum solo when he was in his mid-80s, and I thought to myself, yeah, at the same time, I had like a, a friend who was also a dancer who had, like, hurt her leg and her career was over before it ever really started. Yeah. <laughs> I was looking at the two, contrasting them and saying, you know, I think I want to go with the one where you never have to retire. You just, like, can do it forever. And i, I that's always been an inspiration to me.
0: Yeah, for sure, man. Well, you know, I, I mentioned we were in New York doing college visits. My daughter is a, you know, pre-professional ballet dancer. And, you know, I, she's... Whoa she's 17 and I tell her all the time, you know, make sure you make the most of it because your career is probably going to end by the time you're 30. You know, I mean, oh it's just gosh. yeah. You know, the athleticism that's needed, it's it's kind of like being an NFL player. I mean, it really is. You're, oh, yeah. You you know, you get about 10 good years after college and and that's about it. So so to your point, you know, seeing Roy, you know, doing what he did, you know, almost up until he was ninety years old, is pretty amazing.
1: Yeah. Yes. Exactly. And you're not wrong. It is a very athletic uh, art form. It is incredible.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I think it it depends on what kind of drumming you do as well. You know, how long you can do it. If you're doing jazz, yeah. But I mean, I, I look
1: right. At, That's I, a good point. I, Absolutely.
0: I look at guys like, you know, I don't know, Dave Grohl, just as an example, you know, I don't think you can play like that well into your seventies. Maybe you can, but you know, I'm, I'm in my mid forties and I have aches and pains after a long session or, you know, a a long show. So, I mean, I, I think you have to have good technique, right? And that's the key to a long career. So, you know, bringing it back to you, when you started playing, did you, you know, did you take lessons locally to develop that technique, or are you self-taught?
1: Yeah, so I've I got my first drum set when I was 13, and at that time I was fairly self-taught, but then I was studying with a couple people around town, uh, more notably someone I started studying with when I was, starting to get some general academics together at a local community college was Jamie Haddad. I don't know if you're familiar with that name, but he, um, yeah, he's a serious, serious drummer and he's right here in Cleveland. Um, And I remember the first time I saw him at a show, he was playing with uh, also a trumpet player from Cleveland named Dominic Farinacci. And uh, I was so Blown away by the his voice on the drums and the hand percussion, and I never knew that people like that even existed in Cleveland, you know, so I knew right away that I wanted to study with him and and I would say Jamie, out of all the teachers that I've ever studied with, is probably the one that I would identify as like my uh quote unquote musical father
0: yeah word man that's that that's awesome to have somebody like that. Um, you know, and he, he's just a monster player. So, so you studied with him for a while, I would assume.
1: Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I I was studying with Jamie right up until I moved to New York city.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Now, when you decided to make the move to New York city, you know, and, and I see this in a lot of interviews to, to cats that moved to New York city, you know, you, you go from being you know, I don't know, say a, a really busy drummer in Cleveland and you move to New York and you realize that there are tons of monster players that can't find work. Did you experience mm-hmm. any of that?
1: I think the biggest thing for me in New York was by the last couple of years I was there, I was actually gigging quite a bit because I had kind of found the right circle of people. I, I think the hardest and most challenging thing about New York when you first get there is realizing what you're not. Um, In Cleveland, for instance, growing up here, I mean, I had enough connections where maybe I could play like a a salsa gig on congas because I had like enough conga technique together to get through a gig. But you can't do that in New York City. You're not just going to pick up a random gig playing congas with a salsa group unless you are like from the place where that music originates. You know right. what I mean? Like, unless you've been playing that music since you were like three years old. And what's so beautiful about that is it like informs you who you are largely by informing you who you're not. <laughs> so it <laughs> yeah, was an really. uh, eye-opening experience in that way. And something that I would I wouldn't trade the world for because that I think was my favorite part about being there was just realizing like, okay, this is my voice. This is like where I actually fit in the scene here. And this is, these are the things that really move me and I want to keep working toward instead of like spreading myself too thin and trying to just do everything. If that makes any sense.
0: No, I I think it makes perfect sense because, you know, I mean, I think, um, you know, if you go to New York as, as a jazz player, for example, and Mm -hmm. you're having a hard time finding jazz gigs and you join a punk band You're you're essentially just resigning all future jazz gigs.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's so true. Yeah, because you fall into now you're like the punk drummer, you know. Right. And so anytime one of their friends asks them like, "Who's a good drummer I can get for this punk rock gig?" (laughs) They're gonna have this list of punk drummers in New York. Yeah, you're totally right. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. So I mean, I think you have to, you know, you have to know what you're your niche is and immediately just, you know, inject yourself into that niche. When you get to a place like New York, LA, Nashville, um, you know, there's other cities that are that way, but you really have to be in that circle to be mentioned for gigs and to work. Right. Totally. You know, it's, it's just not an easy thing to, to break in. So, so when you got to New York, you said by the, the last couple of years, you were pretty busy. Um, were you studying with anybody while you were up there? Were you going to school up there? Or did you literally go to New York to, to just try to gig?
1: Yeah, no, that's a great question. I actually went to finish my undergrad degree in New York. So I, I finished my last two years of my undergrad at the new school. Okay, um, And that's where I met a lot of I mean, I met so many incredible musicians there that I still stay in, in contact with. But, um, yeah, so I was there for two years, and then the last three years was just me gigging as much as I could. And I fell into a group of uh, different singer songwriters, and artists that were creating this really creative music. The one that I ended up spending the most time with, her name was Rachel Brotman. And John Raymond, who is an incredible trumpet player, uh, was also in that group and that was a really kind of, um, important experience for me because I also learned how to like co-write these pieces and, um, it it taught me a lot. It taught me a lot about, uh, again, just like my artistic voice and the kind of stuff that motivated me. So that was, that was, that was really cool. Actually, when I was in New York, I almost stopped playing jazz completely Um, just because like you were saying before, I started playing with this group of different songwriters that weren't really doing jazz. I mean, there's a lot of crossover. There's like electronic and soul stuff happening on in there. Um, and there was still like odd meters and things like that, that I, I loved playing, but it was definitely not like straight ahead jazz. Um, and then when I moved, it wasn't until I moved back to Cleveland that I started playing a ton of jazz again. Um, because that's what the scene is like here. So I started doing that.
0: Yeah. Well, I, and, y- you know, so I, I, I don't know if you've ever noticed, but I tend to go down every rabbit hole that I see. So so you, you brought something up. You talked about, you know, composing and co-writing. All of the drummers that I've ever had on the show that compose and write, I always ask this question and it's almost always the same answer so so we're going to quiz you real quick when you sit down to write do you start rhythmically or do you start melodically
1: uh that to me it's actually always different i i would say the majority of the time though it's a melodic idea because i love melody, and I think as a drummer, um, one thing that I've worked on really, really hard is how do I make the drums as melodic as possible? That's one of the things that I want to be at the forefront of my voice as a drummer, and so I'm always hearing melodies, and I love messing around with melodies, and then when it comes to messing around with the melodies, that's where, to me, the rhythm gets really exciting, Um, but very it's very infrequent where I start with like a groove or an ostinato for a piece. And for this newest project for the Alabuada project, it's always starting with melodies because I'm, I'm usually rearranging these melodies that I'm finding on these field recordings.
0: Right. Well, And I find that so interesting and you know, I don't want to make this about me, but Um, No, I, I really don't. But I do not have that gene to start melodically. I love melodies, too. And I can maybe, you know, hum something out to a guitarist if I hear something, but I'm always in the rhythmic aspect of what I'm trying to do. That's my brain just always goes there first. And all of these great composing drummers, do the exact opposite of me. So I don't know if I was just born with, you know, lizard brain or, no, <laughs> or, or what the case I think is, but I, I find it so fascinating to me that, that, you know, you, you drummers that can write and compose, it always comes from a melodic place and I'm so jealous mm-hmm. of that. So that's why I bring it up. It's, it's just infinitely, um, y- you know, uh, it, it, entertaining to me to hear that question answered (laughs) yeah so I, i i don't know but um so when you got back to cleveland you said you started playing a lot more jazz um and presumably you're still doing a lot of jazz gigs and 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 keeping pretty busy um, you know, you said you've been back a couple of years now. What's what's the scene like in Cleveland these days? It's been a long time since I've been up that way.
1: Yeah, well, when, I, when we made the decision to move back, I kind of was thinking that it was going to be the end of a certain chapter in my career. Um, I just figured that I wasn't going to be able to perform as much. Uh, and actually, it's been the exact opposite since we've gotten back. I've been so blessed to find that a lot of musicians, a lot of young musicians for the first time in a very long time have stayed to invest in Cleveland where it used to be, you know, you would become good enough on your instrument. that you would be kind of an in demand guy in Cleveland. And then you were off to New York city, to Chicago, to LA, to Nashville. Um, and I'm happy to say that now right now we're kind of experiencing somewhat of a renaissance in Cleveland where there are just so many incredible bands and musicians here um, and I just tend i I came back kind of right at the right at the climax of that, and it's just been kind of riding this incredible wave and um yeah, I don't know i I feel very, very, very fortunate to be here right now.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, there's, there's something to be to be said for that, you know. I mean, I grew up in Central Kentucky, not exactly a, you know, a, a hotbed of rock music, and I'm a rock guy, right? So, yeah, um, you, you know, a, as soon as I could possibly get out, I got out. You know, I went to Memphis totally. and, and tried to make it down there. Um, you know, mm. because there was a good rock and blues scene down there at the time, and there was quite a few bands getting signed out of Memphis. Um, but you know, you you always end up getting back to your roots, no matter what we're talking mm. about. You always end up getting back to your roots. But you know, the thing that that I think of uh, about Cleveland, obviously, you know, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, you know, Alan Freed, and you know, kind of the the, you know, the birthplace of the rock and roll movement in the fifties. Um, I didn't know what kind of scene Cleveland had, so it's really cool to hear that you know a lot of young cats are staying in town and really trying to build a scene. That's pretty. That that says a lot because there's not a lot of cities that can lay claim to something like that anymore.
1: Hmm. I, I feel like there was a moment before the pandemic where. New York and Chicago in particular were getting so expensive uh, that it was just forcing musicians out. And we were kind of catching the people that were moving back home, you know what I mean? Or like leaving from those two bigger cities. Um, And so we've got a few people, you know, like one of my favorite guitar players in town, Dan Bruce, spent a ton of time in Chicago and then they moved back here because it just wasn't sustainable to yeah. stay out in Chicago they had they had just had their second and third kid which were twins and <laughs> that was really kind of like the knockout punch for them of of staying in Chicago
0: yeah well i mean Let me uh, put your mind at ease. I was just in New York City uh, the first week of July. Uh, Prices have not gone down due to the pandemic, I can assure you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
1: I heard that there was a minute where it would dip down, but then it's kind of
0: nuts again yeah i mean i'm talking like you know a a, you know kind of a casual burger restaurant for the three of us to eat it's like 78 bucks you know for burgers and fries it's nuts you know so oh my god um so i i get what you're saying so yeah talk to me a little bit about you know the the current project and how where did Italian folk music come into focus for you. I I I, I doubt. I, and I don't know. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I doubt you woke up one day and said, "You know what I need to do? I need to do a, a very, um, you know, deep traditional Italian folk music project." Maybe you did, but, but I doubt that's how that happened, right?
1: Yeah. The decision was not motivated by money either, if that's what you were thinking. I know. <laughs> well, yeah.
0: You know, I know that is- the worldwide audience waiting for this <laughs> this release. <laughs> but, but we do things because yeah. we love it, right? I mean, we're it, yeah. I, you know, I I don't I don't care if five people hear it or five million people hear it. As long as you know whatever that number is says, hey, that's really cool, right? That's all I care about, but.
1: Yeah, for for me, it's actually, it is really intertwined to who I am as a person, and it's kind of what's made this project the most special um, part of my uh, music career right now, and, and that is because my dad is from Italy, and um, so I grew up taking great pride in my heritage, but it wasn't until I was at the new school and I was given a research paper to do uh, research on a type of global music and I picked Italy because I thought that was going to be a layup and what I stumbled upon were these field recordings from this famous American ethnomusicologist Alan Lomax from 1954. He spent six months in Italy and traveled all around Italy visiting the most obscure places and recording the most diverse and beautiful Italian folk music that you could imagine. And when I heard that stuff, I was just floored. I couldn't believe that I had spent my, up until that point, you know, first 20-something years of my life without knowing that this music existed. And um, so the last 10 years have been me researching this on and off. I've spent some time in Italy. Uh, I've learned the language to a certain level of fluency. Um, And I've, under uh, the direction of some really incredible Italian frame drummers, I've even studied a lot of the traditional um, drum techniques that they use with their traditional hand drums and the Italian folk music. And I have to tell you, like, this is the first time in my whole career where I've found a project that feels so integrated, integrated to the, the person who I am and, um, the, the music that I love and it's, it's, and my heritage, it's just all this beautiful bundle of things that I care about. And so working on this and pursuing this project has just turned into something that is just joyful. It's just a beautiful, it's been a beautiful experience so far.
0: Well, and I think you used the key word there, joyful, you know, because as I listened to the record, um, you know, and I and I gave it another listen today in, in preparation for our interview, um, it is a joyous music, even... You know, I I think there's even, um, you know, kind of a a requiem on the album that, you know, you would think it would still be sad music. But there is a an underlying joy to all of the songs, which is Mm. interesting to me. Um, You know, and you talk about music that is integrated into your being. You know, I'm I'm of, you know, English, Irish heritage. And living in Kentucky, you know, you can't listen to bluegrass music without immediately hearing an Irish jig or a reel, right? I mean, they're all so, so interconnected. And, you know, so I get what you're saying. And I hope that the folks that are listening in and eavesdropping on our conversation today um, have had some moment of, of that clarity of this is the music of my being kind of thing.
1: Yes. And I'm glad you say that, Jamie, because um, that is something that I didn't anticipate going into this project, but it's something that I've seen as a result of it. And that is that, yeah, at the center of the project, we want to bring recognition to this folk music that is largely unknown. Um, And yeah, we want to bring new life to it as well. But ultimately, I want to inspire people of any ethnic heritage to dig into their musical roots and to find something about their musical heritage that inspires them, that that shows them that their um, musical heritage is still a a very fertile ground for creative cultivation. And I've been seeing some people come up after a show and they'll be like, Wow, my my great-grandfather is from France and now I'm, my head is spinning thinking about like all the music that he might have grown up listening to and I'm going to I'm going to research that. Or my dad worked in a a steel factory in Youngstown, Ohio and um he told me when I was growing up that they had songs that they used to sing in the steel factory. and Now I want to know what those are and you know I just think that is a beautiful thing because it, it not only is it achieving this goal of, yeah, now you know about this Italian folk music, that's great, but hopefully it's also achieving this goal of bringing community and connectedness to one another through this music.
0: Yeah, man. And and, and what a noble calling, right? I mean, I, I, there's no other way I can put it, but I, I just, I, you know, I feel sorry for those that have never been able to make that sort of connection with music. Mm. You know, I mean there are certain albums that I can put on today and I go back to being 13 years old in my mom's basement. You you know what I mean? Like I I can, Mm -hmm. I I can smell the room. I can see the lighting. You know, it just transforms you right back to that moment in time, but it's a different thing when it's the music of your people, right? I mean, when it's so deeply tied to the the heritage that you come from, um, it, you know, I, I only hope that everybody gets to connect to that. And bravo to you for for bringing something like this to life. Now, it leads me to my next question: When you decided to do this after doing your research, I, I I'm sure you didn't have like you know, a whole black book of 700 people you could call up and say, hey, here's this <laughs> project I'm thinking about. Are you in or are you out? I mean, you, you probably had to kind of curate the players that you ultimately ended up choosing to do this record with, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, I So the, the project really got kick when I was getting my master's in composition at Youngstown State University. I was studying under Dave Morgan, who's an incredible bassist, educator, and composer, just super knowledgeable, and he had this incredible gift of being able to help people find a spark of a potential idea or project. And, uh, you know, as I was in that program, I was thinking about how could I bring this folk music that I've been studying into the mix? How can I kind of do a composition or two based on this Italian folk music that I love that I've been thinking about for almost 10 years. And so I did a couple compositions and I brought them in today for Professor Morgan. And he was like, wow, man, Anthony, this is, this has like so much more intent and focus than anything else you've brought in so far up until this point. You should think about what you could do with this. Maybe it can be more than just a couple of songs, but this could be a project And, you know, being a sideman at that point for like 15 years, I knew that, uh, I did not want the responsibility of being a leader on my (laughs) plate.
0: (laughs) Said every drummer ever. (laughs) Yeah. But then
1: the more I started thinking about it and the more I kept composing and this stuff just kept flowing. Um, they even gave me my own ensemble at YSU where I could just workshop this material twice a week. It was incredible, incredible experience. Um, I, the momentum just kept building. And then over the two years in that graduate graduate program from 2018 to 2020, all I was thinking about was who can be a part of this project? What, what kind of voices am I looking for? And the, the most important and integral of it for me was the voice, because I think that one thing that I've learned, uh, as a jazz musician is that when there's a vocalist, people tend to pay a little bit more attention.
0: <laughs> oh, you mean they're not there to see me do my really cool quadruple Radama drum solo? <laughs> That's not
1: There's, what everybody's I mean, no, paying no, for. There is, there is definitely one person there to see that, but the uh, other ones are not. So.
0: <laughs> right, right, um, right.
1: <laughs> and, so, and then also, how can you convince someone that this is like Italian folk music you don't have Italian words in it. You know what I
0: mean? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, I get it.
1: I mean, you could, you could do, you could figure out some way to have some instrumental Italian folk music that's very modern. uh, But it doesn't sound like it would be as successful. So the vocalist is Amanda Powell. And I I had collaborated with her, um, with Apollo's fire, which is um, a pretty, pretty big Baroque orchestra in Cleveland. It's kind of a, its own organization and they do a ton of different concerts. They're um, really amazing musicians that they pull all over the, from all over the country and the world, honestly. And I had the pleasure of sitting in with them a few times and collaborating with Amanda and like her fluency in different languages and her ability to communicate within a song that like no one understands what the words are, but she was able to communicate flawlessly. Um, the the tech between with the texture of her voice and the way that she would phrase things I knew exactly like she is the only one <laughs> within like 500 miles of here that I think could be the singer in this project and I am counting my lucky stars that she said yes and that she was down to be a part of it um and then the other pieces were kind of just as clear in my head like as it I thought about it as I molded over as I weighed what are the important aspects of each of these roles, it became, it just became clear. And I I asked them one by one if they would want to be a part of this group. They said, yes. Uh, We had our first gig. It went well. And then it's just been snowballing where this last year, you know, our first gig was in October, 2020. uh, And then at the beginning of 2021, I decided, well, I want to take this more seriously. I want to dedicate more time to booking and really trying to make this project happen. And we've played almost 25 gigs this year, which, you know, for a band that's only a year and a half old, felt like a real success. And, and next year, uh, next spring and and uh, late winter, we already have gigs in three different states.
0: Wow, man, that's I, I mean that's amazing. You know, I mean, and and I'm I'm saying that's amazing because I'm coming at it from a you know you you guys aren't going out and doing um you know I don't know Katy Perry covers right i mean right. it's like you're not a wedding band right? You, right you're not a classic rock cover band so the the fact that it's being so well received I should tell you you're on the right track uh, i mean is that how you see it cuz that's the way i see it
1: uh, yeah yeah <laughs> exactly that's exactly how i see it and i i think that because it's folk music, that there's a certain humanness element to it that people relate to regardless of what language it is. I think that folk music in general, whether it be like what you were talking about, bluegrass or, or Irish music or whatever, I, I feel like it has a humanness to it that we can all identify with very quickly. Yeah. Whereas sometimes with jazz, the hurdle is the, the the initial accessibility for an audience. And so I think what's really been magical about this is that even though we have some very inaccessible moments from a musical standpoint, because the narrative and the story is there from the folk music, it somehow makes it way more approachable for a very wide audience.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I think you have the other thing in the jazz world Um, and I'm not saying this is right or wrong, but if you ask the wrong question in a jazz club, everybody's like, oh my God, what an idiot. You know, Mm. there's, there's that thing too. Like, oh, you're not hip enough to know what's happening here, you know? And, and, and I'm usually that guy that's not hip enough to know what's going on. And, you know, in my opinion, there are two kinds of music, good and bad, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I just know what speaks to me and what doesn't. And, you know, taste is very subjective, but, you know, one of my favorite artists today is a, a you know, a singer songwriter named Jason Isbel. Uh, and, you know, yeah. his music is rock, it's country, it's bluegrass, it's folk, it's, all these different things it's americana is what we call it today you know but i say all the time he does not write songs for people who just want you know that that two minute pop escape right he you you have to Mm. think about it a little bit and that's what appeals to me so much and folk music i you know i say all the time he's my generation's bob dylan but That's the thing about folk music is that it does strike such an emotional chord in all listeners and to your point, no matter what language it's in, you you get across what that emotion is. You can sit and listen to your new record and understand what the emotions are. Mm. I don't speak Italian, but I know exactly what's coming across in those songs.
1: Right, right. And that is for me as the composer, that was like my, that's one of my most, the most fun aspects about the compositions to me is I know, and and just so you know, by the way, even Italians have no idea what the majority of these songs are saying because they're in very regional dialects. Yeah. So we've had plenty of times an Italian come to the show who's like from Italy, who has no idea what people are what we're singing about, like from word to word. Um, so I, I kind of love that cause I think it levels the playing field, um, for everyone that's listening that evening. But we also have like a lot of storytelling throughout the set. Um, and it's, as a composer, it's interesting because it's like, okay, how can I compositionally try and also tell the story while the song's going on so that even in those moments where it's, incredibly unclear what part of the story we might be in. There's something in the composition that's trying to reveal that to the listener.
0: Yeah. Well, and and, you know, you're not the first to do it, obviously, you know, I mean, if you you think about Led Zeppelin, they basically Mm -hmm. stole every, you know, slave (laughs) spiritual and Delta blues song that there was and, and brought it to the white kids of America and England. You know, the stones did the same thing. So, you know, we have a, a rich history of taking these really old folk type songs and modernizing them. And that leads me, I guess, to my next question is, you know, you mentioned the field recordings of stuff that you've heard. You know, how true did you attempt to stay to those versus taking some artistic license and 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 recomposing, I guess, is the question I'm trying to ask.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. No, I it's a mix. I don't want it to be the same every time. You know what I mean? So I try to let the moment that I'm in and the composition that I'm working on inspire those decisions. So on the album, you know, there's a couple of times where we sample the Alan Lomax field recordings. And so even in a couple of our newer compositions that we haven't recorded yet, that is a that is an aspect of it is sampling the recordings and in different ways um, you know playing along with some of the recordings or using different sounds from the recordings as samples and the pieces um, it just depends everyone is different and I want it to try and you know I want it to try and speak to whatever the story is because to me that's the most important part is what is the story and the launching pad is this recording of it that we have from 1954 so Uh, I'll listen to the song a ton of times to really learn the melody and hear like um, maybe what the implied harmony is, because many times these field recordings are just vocals. A lot of times there are no other instruments. Um, And so you just kind of implied what the harmony is. It gives me freedom as a composer to add a bunch of wonderful things that I like (laughs) into it, you know
0: yeah for sure man well it's um you know it's an incredible recording um talk to me a little bit about the recording process did you did you approach this as you know kind of a traditional jazz record and and record everything live on the fly you know from the floor or is it a mixture of things tell tell everybody a little bit about where it was recorded and how it was recorded
1: Yeah, so we recorded in February of 2021. So we were still in kind of a dicey time with COVID, you know, spikes going up and down every couple of months and like not knowing what was safe. Um, Being in a studio with a bunch of people in close quarters did not sound like the right move. Um, So we were able to secure uh, an old theater that my friend actually... Leads the music uh, at the church that owns the theater now, and when I say old theater, I don't mean like uh, one of those old performing arts theaters. I mean like an old movie theater.
0: Oh, I got it. Um, and so
1: okay. it's, it's got like the multiple levels and the seating that that goes up, um, and they since it's become a church, they've put in a huge stage. So what we actually did was we rented out that church space, uh, that theater space, and we were able to position the entire band in that theater at the same time, but did it in such a way where, you know, I had the trumpet player was like literally 20 feet away and on a second level of the theater. (laughs) And, uh, you know, the guitarist was 40 feet away from him on the other side of the second level of the theater and the bass and drums were on the stage and it was really cool. And then the only thing that was really overdubbed were some of the special guests. And then Amanda, Uh, overdubbed her vocals later, but we did all of the instruments together uh, in the same space.
0: Man, that's amazing. That's fantastic. And you can't go wrong with those old movie theater spaces. You know, Stax Records proved that,
1: (laughs) you know. Yeah, oh, and it's so cool because, you know, it's like 30-foot ceilings in there and just the, the decay of the sound and the natural reverb that you get in that space, especially for the drums. I just really love the sound. I was
0: able to get from the drums. Oh, yeah, for sure, man. I mean, they, they sound fantastic. But, you know, I think it was Al Jackson Jr. said, you know, the, the, the key to all those great Stax recordings was the sloped floor in the movie theater. He was like, that's what made it sound yeah. so good. Um, you know, so it's it, sonically, it, it's an epic sounding record. I mean, it really is. Um, Thanks, man. You're welcome. So... So you know you jokingly said earlier I I didn't do this for the money. What you know what's the goal here uh, ultimately? I know you want to get the record in everybody's hands so tell everybody how they can pick up a copy if they if they choose to on October 21st. But what is the next step for for you and and the group?
1: Yeah. Both fantastic questions. <laughs> So first and foremost, yeah, the record is available through Shifting Paradigm Records. And so you can find them on Bandcamp and you can pre-order now, even uh, whenever this episode is airing. I'm not sure when it will be, but uh, yeah, it comes out on October 21st and you can pre-order it right now on Shifting Paradigm Records on Bandcamp. Um, You can also find our music on most streaming services. Although, as you know, and you've alluded to in past interviews, That's really not the most sustainable way to support a band that you like. So we prefer that you order an album.
0: Yes, please, (laughs) uh, please do. Don't, don't Spotify it. Don't Napster it. Whatever the kids are doing today, don't download it for (laughs) free on the internet.
1: (laughs) And we also, we post quite a bit on social media and things like that too. So if you want to stay in touch with us and like, want to see what we're up to uh, Instagram, Facebook, those are great ways to stay kind of in touch with, New videos that might be coming out, new singles, new releases, and things like that. Um, and then, as far as my what my hopes would be for the project, what I'm telling people now is that you know I'm still a side man. Like that's still 80 percent of my work is is gigging for other people, you know, and learning other people's music and doing that. So this is I want this to become more of a part of my regular gigging. Uh, life, and I want this to definitely be something that I pour into more and more but the I think the advantage that I have that this isn 't my career isn 't dependent on this project is that man i 'm open to anything I am totally fine for however this ride lasts or doesn't last and it 's like I said in the beginning it 's just joy right now, and that is the part that makes me so happy is that. There's no stress, I mean, other than, you know, coordinating some of these gigs, this can be stressful, don't get me wrong, but behind the success of it, I guess, right, I'm not nervous, I'm not stressed, I'm not freaking out about it, I, I want to create something that people dig, and I've been extremely, mm-hmm. extremely um, surprised and happy to find out that there are a lot of people that resonate with this project, so if that continues... Man, I'm over the moon. But if it doesn't, that's okay too. And I think that having that balance and that freedom, that kind of zenness, if you will, about the project has in a different way been really freeing for me.
0: Yeah, man. Well, I you know, I, I will say this you can damn sure bet that you are now the first call drummer for all Italian folk music
1: projects
0: (laughs) going on worldwide because seriously, I mean, you know, I think you could probably look, you know, far and wide and probably not find too many projects like this. It's so unique. And, you know, I, I say all the time, that's both a blessing and a curse, right? Right. It's it's sure. it's a blessing that it's really unique. It's a curse that it's really unique. But it's <laughs> um, you know it it, it really is. Um, I, I'm looking for the right word to use here because it it, it really is um, a fantastic record that you you can tell that it wasn't just something you woke up on a Wednesday and said, hey, this weekend I'm going to do an Italian folk record. Right, mm-hmm. I mean, right. You can tell that there's been some thought and some real emotion put into it, and man, I mm-hmm. applaud you for that. You know, I and I think Thanks, it, Jamie. you're welcome. I think it takes a lot of guts to do something so different and unique. Um, but you know, you you never know, man. This may not be out of your system yet. You may decide, hey, there's another 30 songs that I want to do. I mean, it could, <laughs> you know, you could. <laughs> Create a, a cottage industry out of this. I don't know. But.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, I mean. That being said, yeah, we're definitely composing. We're still composing. We're still pushing forward, and I'm going to keep doing it. We have. We do have uh, a second record, probably looking like we're going to try and record next fall.
0: Fantastic. Um, that would be the goal. Yeah, man. So
1: we'll see. But it's just like I said, man. The ride has been so fun so far. I never thought that it would get. As much traction as it has, and so just every step is like a complete blessing. It's been amazing.
0: Yeah, for sure, man. Well, do this uh, for for all of us. Um, give us all of the you know Instagram, Facebook, the web address. Give everybody that so they can look you up.
1: Yeah, if you search our name, it's going to come up. <laughs> there aren't too, believe it or not, there aren't too many names out there named Ala boata so Ala Boara is A-L-L-A, and then Boara is B-O-A-R-A. So you can put that in Instagram, put that on Facebook, you put that on YouTube. We got a YouTube channel. Um, and then AlaBoara.com is our, is our website as well, So um, which we also have like an email list, and you can sign up for that. And we try not to spam people, send out like one or two emails a month with updates and new merch and things like that.
0: So you don't send emails about my expired uh, extended auto warranty?
1: (laughs) No. Oh, I'm sorry. No, we do do that. Oh, okay.
0: (laughs) just kidding. (laughs) Oh, man. Um, Okay, so second part of that, thank you for getting all the socials out there so people can look you up and all that good stuff. Are you currently teaching? I know you do a lot of gigs. So um, do you take students?
1: I do, yeah. I have a fairly limited... Amount of time to do too much teaching, but I do um, some teaching at uh, the community college over here. They have a jazz studies program. It's actually the same program that inspired me to start playing jazz. So it's a, an honor to to be there working with those students. And then there are a couple private students that I have uh, that you know come to my house and we and study here or Zoom or whatever. Um, it's pretty relaxed because oh, I travel quite a bit, so it involves some, uh, you know, some planning. But it's, yeah, I love teaching. I, I particularly love teaching students how to teach themselves.
0: Yeah, man. Because I
1: think that's that's such an important part of it. Like, at some point, you don't have a teacher anymore. So if you're not teaching or if you're not learning how to teach yourself and how to enjoy it, then, like, I don't know, then maybe you know that's
0: just not going to work yeah well i mean that's very true and you know some of the best drum lessons you could ever give somebody is to hand them like a stack of 5 CDs and say hey man go home and mm-hmm. listen to these you you'll, you'll get it you mm-hmm. know <laughs> so i sometimes those are the best things but you know we just want to make sure that if people are interested um you know they know how to contact you and get a hold of you and uh you know i again i think the record is just it's, it's unique and it sounds so good. And I love your passion behind it. So uh, we're going to try to send some folks your way. You're welcome, man. We're going to try to send some folks your way and hopefully they'll all check it out and, you know, not download it illegally on the internet, but actually, you know, send you, send you 10 bucks and uh, get a copy and (laughs) all that good stuff.
1: Yeah, we would love that. And let me also say, thank you so much. I mean, it's an honor to be on the same program where cats like Benny Greb, Greb and Daphnis Prieto and Rudy Royston, I mean, those cats are like some of my heroes, man. And so to have my name like within a uh, 100,000 mile radius of any of those people is like an absolute honor. And I, I just love the way that you have, the culture that you've created with this podcast is truly amazing.
0: Oh man, thank you. But, you know, it. I, I just dragged all the you, their names in the mud, you know, for them agreeing to be on, <laughs>
1: not on this That's little not show.
0: Um, you, you know, a, as I said to you, I try to approach this as, you know, a 13 year old. What would I want to know from these guys? What makes mm-hmm. them tick? Because I, I think at the end of the day, we all know about their amazing playing. Right, Benny Greb is one of my yeah. favorite drummers. Like I was in awe Incredible. talking to him for an hour. It was amazing. Mm-hmm. But that guy just has a sense of groove that I, you, I mean, who else has what he has? Nobody that I can think of. He's just uh, amazing. But yeah, I, you know, we can go to YouTube and see all the playing, right? And and break down every fill and all that stuff. What I'm interested in is what is he th- Thinking about what makes him tick, what were the building blocks that got him to where he is today? And I think we can learn so much from that. And that's what I try to get across and just have a cool drummer hang for 45, 50 minutes with all these cats. And you know, I, I'm just blessed that there are people that listen and, and care enough to care, right?
1: Yeah. Oh man, absolutely. I was like, I was saying before, like it just reminds me of my favorite type of conversation after a gig where you have someone that was just listening to the show and they loved it. And they have all these thoughtful, provoking questions about you and your music and your career. I mean, that's, it's awesome, man. Thank you.
0: Well, you're welcome. And thank you for taking time to come on, but keep us posted on, on how everything's going um, if you do the second record next fall, here's your open invitation. Come on, <laughs> talk about Thank it. Thank you,
1: dude. Yeah, Thanks, man. With, man.
0: It, you know, I, I, I tell people all the time, you know, I've said this so many times. The good news is anybody can make a record today. The bad mm. news is anybody can make a record today. <laughs> you, you know, the yeah. good stuff just gets lost in the noise right? So yeah. often. And people say, oh, music is dead. You know, the album is a lost art form. And I say, you're mm-hmm. not looking under the right rocks because it's mm-hmm. there. You've just got to work to find it. Um, you know, and, and so many people don't do that. They just put it on, you know, whatever top 40 station in their city or, you know, the 80s on eight on Sirius XM and and that's all they know. Um, it's out there and I hope I can shed just an iota of light on some of it. So thank you, man. Y'all you're welcome, brother. Have a great one. Keep us posted on everything. We're going to send some folks your way, but thank you so much for taking time to do this, Anthony.
1: Of course, man. Thank you, Jamie. Appreciate you.
0: All right. Best to you, brother. Thank you.
1: Arrivederci.
0: All right, guys and girls, that's going to wrap up episode 148 of the Drum Shuffle podcast. Again, a million thanks to Anthony Tadeo for coming on, taking time out of his busy schedule uh, to talk to all of us. Uh, Again, I just had a blast talking with him, so make sure you Look for that release on October 21st when it hits the shelves. Uh, Visit him on all of his social media and tell him that you came from the Drum Shuffle podcast. I would certainly appreciate that. Uh, If all goes well, next week we're going to be joined once again by the great Doug Cosmo Clifford of Credence Clearwater Revival fame. Uh, We have found he has unearthed another Cosmo's Vault recording, uh, and this one is a Barn Burner, kids, so we're going to be talking with Doug next week uh, if all goes well, Uh, so make sure you hit that subscribe button so you don't miss any uh, upcoming episodes of the Drum Shuffle podcast. I ask you each and every week, the biggest thing you can do to help us out is share a link with a friend. That helps more than you'll ever know, And I am sincerely grateful to each and every one of you for listening to this podcast week in and week out. As always, we answer every single email that we get over here at the Drum Shuffle That email address is thedrumshufflepodcast at gmail.com. Our web address is thedrumshuffle.com, and you can always find more information on me over at jamieeds.com. Thanks so much for tuning in. We simply can't do it without you. I am eternally grateful for that. So until next time, may your head stay strong and your sticks never break. Cheers, everybody.